The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, welcome to our series, Unfriended. Today is part two, and uh, we're actually gonna be talking about friends specifically today. If you're looking for a spot in scripture that we're gonna land, you can turn to John chapter 15, and that's where we'll be, so we'll get to that momentarily. Um, But let's go ahead and jump in, because I wanna make an announcement. I wanna let you know that I have thousands of friends. And I'm curious, how many do you have? Now, what you're probably thinking is, Nick, if you think all of those people on social media are your friends, then you're kidding yourself. And all I'm doing is I'm trying to make a point. That's exactly my point. All of those people on social media that somehow are in the category of friends aren't really necessarily my friends. And they're not necessarily your friends either. And yet, what happens over and over and over online is that we see something we like and we click like or we share with other people because they're in our friend group and we haven't verified if what they're saying is actually valid. We just know that somehow that opinion resonates with me, so I'm gonna let others know that I'm in the same opinion category as that person, whether you're actually friends or not. And yet there's something incredibly dangerous because as I said last week, they're creating algorithms and getting better and better at algorithms that are catering to the things you already like. It's why polarization is such a huge issue in our world and social media is in a large part to blame for what's going on. The other side of it is this. You and I accept friend requests from people that we don't know who they actually are. Maybe you have mutual friends. Maybe it's somebody who actually is a friend in real life. But have you ever stopped to think that maybe somebody got somebody's name, created an account with that name, and sent you a friend request hoping to get into your social media page and see what's going on in your world on purpose, and it's not actually that friend at all? Which, by the way, if you sent me a friend request and I haven't accepted it, and maybe it's been weeks or months, and you're like, what's his problem? He doesn't like me. The simple fact is I haven't had time to verify the different friend requests I've received, so I've waited to accept them because I'm not sure who everybody really is online. I'm trying to be at least a little bit prudent. So last week, I talked about how social media is fixed, that it's biased, that like I said, those algorithms are created to help get you into a space where you're going to click on something because there's a lot of money to be made for the things that you're actually clicking on. But here's my question. If you really think about it, how can you and I spend hours and hours a day or week and not know how a specific system works? The simple truth is, if you go back to what I said last week about Ephesians chapter five, Paul would consider that foolishness. If you're spending hours and hours a week on something that is impacting you far, than, far more than you would ever imagine and you don't understand how it works, that's unbelievably foolish and incredibly dangerous. And so if you think about it, little by little, we've become aware that you're being followed, that I'm being followed all the time. And what I mean by that is this, we marvel at the idea that I can have a conversation with some random friend about my favorite hot dog brand or my favorite place to go on vacation and eventually somewhere later that day, I get some random ad that's that's that hot dog brand or that place I love to go because there are always 
listening. They're always watching. They're always aware of the things you're clicking like on and the time you're spending watching a certain video, whether it's a few seconds or it's minutes or whatever it might be. And so we're amazed at this whole thing and we go, this is all free. How incredible, but there's a catch. And it goes like this. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Let me mention again, there's a, a, a documentary that's been put out recently on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, and I would challenge you to spend some time watching it because it's about individuals that helped craft the original social media platforms in a way that would lure us in and drag us down a road whether we want to go or not, and it really is incredibly informative. Take some time to watch The Social Dilemma. That being said, like I said, you and I are being targeted by computers that create algorithms because there's big money to be made and not just for products, but for how we believe and who we'll associate with based on those beliefs. So when I say all that, you might go, well, what does this have to do with friendship? What does this have to do with this word friends as you opened up with today? And I would say this, we have so many friends we have so many followers on social media that what happens is you and I begin to forget what a friend really is. Sociologist Sherry Turkle says this, digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. And I want you to think about that real quick because friendship has demands and we might not like, like to look at it that way, but it's a lot easier to sit in front of a computer screen and control everything about what we view and what we like or don't like or whatever, rather than having actual in-person relationship. Jonathan Holmes wrote a book called The Company We Keep. And in that, in that book, sorry, he, he wrote a book called The Company We Keep in search of biblical friendship. And he says this, remember friendship? This fundamental human relationship has suffered so much reimagining, rebranding, and reengineering that it now lacks any clear definition. Historically understood as one of the deepest and most complex of relationships, it now frequently inhabits the same mental space as the act of flipping through carefully curated images of other people's lives and occasionally pressing an icon of approval. That's how he defines modern day friendships. But deep down, you and I know that's not friendship at all. This isn't what God designed for you and I to live in relationship with one another. My youth pastor years ago used to say this phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Now, if your friends are online, here's what you need to know. If your friends are online, your future will be digital. And if your future is entirely digital, your life will end up shallow because it's all on your terms alone. I'm not saying that good things can't happen online or that amazing connections aren't made online, but they can't be sustained digitally. I'm a firm believer that our creator wired us for deep, in-person, challenging relationships. And digital is limited. Last week, I said one of the problems with this whole social media world is that we scroll through and, and we lose our ability to have empathy, to communicate, 
to interpret other people's emotions, to love and be loved by others around us. Why is that? Because we scroll through human tragedy and we keep going because certain human tragedies don't interest us. Only other tragedies interest us or the popular tragedies of the day that everybody's talking about are the ones we care about and the others we don't give a moment of our time. That's not okay. We're not wired like that. And communication, traveling at almost 124,000 miles a second, isn't able to be processed by our finite brains. At the end of the day, people online aren't necessarily our friends. Most of the individuals on social media aren't our friends at all. Because if they were really our friends, shouldn't we act on their dilemma with empathy? Shouldn't we take action to serve and love and, and, and reach out? And if I have thousands of friends, I don't have the bandwidth, the hours in my day to love and express compassion and empathy like I need to at people's plights. So what do we do? What I wanna do today is help us understand what it looks like to have a, a biblical worldview of friendship. And Jesus made quite the statement in John chapter 15. In John 15, 15, he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from the Father I've made known to you. Isn't that amazing that, that Jesus says to his disciples, even modern day disciples, I call you friends. I've let you in on my whole life. And yet, there's more to John chapter 15. When you look at the chapter, let's start in verse 12, where he's saying something to you and to me. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for their friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. And that's where he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything I have learned from the Father I've made known to you. I want you to look at verse 17 where Jesus says this. This is my command, love each other. At the end of the day, when you look at what biblical friendship is, you realize that this is a great core text to help us understand how we live in relationship to one another. And it starts with this, my command is this, as I have. What, what Jesus is saying is I have modeled this for you. Look at my love for you. Look at how we've interacted in a relationship together and let that be the benchmark for how you love other people. And so to begin, biblical friendship starts with this. It puts Christ at the center because Christ is a perfect example of how to love other people in friendship. St. Augustine said this, there can be no true friendship unless those who cling to each other are welded together by you, speaking of the Lord, in that love which is spread throughout our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given to each of us. Augustine says the core of the friendship that I have with you, that you have with others, stems from our connection to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way, and it's a little poetic, so try to follow along, but he says this, when I have, when I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. And then finally this sentence, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Now, I'm not gonna reread that, but let me just say it this way. He's literally saying, C.S. Lewis is literally saying to you and me, if I love God with all that I am, it helps me love others. So number one, biblical friendship puts Christ at the center. It's why we're warned by Paul and by James of these words, do not be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. It means don't have deep agreeing friendships with those who don't know Christ because it's going to damage your ability to flourish in Christ. It's why he, he goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. When you and I are wanting to follow Christ, but our deepest relationships are with those who are not connected to Christ, we end up falling prey to the same things they do. We end up falling prey to the same beliefs they have. So going back to what I said a little bit ago, when we say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, the simple truth is if, my deepest friendships are with people not connected to Christ. I'm going to suffer because of it. And then James says something that sounds unbelievably harsh when he says in James 4 verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God or enmity between us and God? Now in context, he's talking about you and I living for pleasure. But how often do you and I find that those who aren't connected to Christ that we know or that we care about, as they're living their lives, what they have to live for isn't Christ. And so they're trying to grasp at whatever they can to, got, to find pleasure in this world. And once again, if those are our deepest connections, we'll find ourselves falling prey to that very same pattern in our own lives, even though we want Christ to be on the throne. It doesn't end up playing out that way. Number one, biblical friendship puts Christ at the center. Number two, biblical friendship is sacrificial. You go back to John chapter 15 where he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And what we see in, in, in Christ's love for us is a sacrificial love because he goes on to say, um, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, he, he, he talks about it in Mark. He says, I did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. But the catch here is not necessarily that you have to lay down your life for a friend, although that does happen at times, but instead of dying for our friends, what does it look like for you and I to put our friends before our own selves, to care about their agenda more than ours, 
Paul says over and over, put others before ourselves. In fact, in the picture of a healthy marriage, marriage is loving the other more than we love ourselves. Serving the other before we serve ourselves. Doing for the other before we do for ourselves. And if we want to have the right kind of friendship in marriage, it requires deep sacrifice of me, myself, and I for the sake of the other person. And that's where you get somewhere in marriage. One author says it this way, biblical friendships cannot thrive in a mentality of like. And when you and I are online and we're clicking like or heart emoji or embracing heart emoji or laugh emoji or whatever it might be, that's not real friendship. Real friendship isn't even commenting on somebody's post and actually typing words, although every now and then we see these posts that say, you know, I wanna see who's gonna read this all the way through and blah, 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 and more than just click like, I want you to type in where we met or type in your favorite or type in this or type in that as if that's the real measure of friendship. If you read all the way through my paragraph, we must be really good friends. <laughs> Even that misses it by a million miles. Biblical friendship is sacrificial. And yet, one of the greatest stings in real friendship is the demise of a friendship because of betrayal or unresolved conflict. In Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, the psalmist says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. The psalmist says, the sting of life is my best friend betraying me. Those were, that were so close to me seeing the demise of that friendship, and that's the pain. But we've got to remember that at the end of the day, real friendship isn't easy. And I think all of us could think of examples where you and I have experienced the pain of disagreement, the pain of having some sort of fight, the pain of, of, of misunderstanding or the pain of betrayal. And yet for those of us that have fought to keep a healthy relationship and had the hard conversations with other people that we care for, it's amazing the depth that relationships, that friendships can really go when we do the hard work of reconciliation, which, which brings me to my final point. Biblical friendship is redemptive. And you hear that, and that sounds so weird or foreign, or what do you mean by that? And I would say it this way from author Paul Tripp. He says that, that the Lord's primary purpose in our life is redemption, the ongoing removal of sin from our hearts, according to Philippians 1.6. Nowhere is that sin more exposed than in relationships where a flawed person lives with a flawed person in a fallen world? 
See, in friendship, because you have sin in your life and I have sin in my life and, and we live in a broken world, something's going to happen in our friendship that can rock the boat. The question is, are we gonna jump out of the boat and swim to another boat? Or are we gonna get back in the boat and have the hard conversations? Walk through reconciliation. Deal with the need for repentance and the offer of please forgive me and the reception of yes, I forgive you. One of the great tragedies in marriage, again in marriage, is couples unwilling to humble themselves enough to make an apology when an apology is needed. Instead, oftentimes what happens in marriage, but also happens in friendship, is that where there's a rift in the relationship, there's an ignoring of one another for a couple of days, and the emotions kind of go by the wayside, and all of a sudden we kind of just are there together, and we act like nothing ever happened, and we move right on when there needs to be repentance, confession, reconciliation, because that's the real work, not sweeping it under the carpet, acting like nothing happened because somehow that's easier. In the short term, it feels easier. In the long term, it's the demise of a real relationship. That's in both marriage and in friendship. Paul Tripp goes on to remind us of the biblical record of the first relationships. Listen to this. The early history of friendships goes from perfect to bad to worse. The harmony of companionship disappears when Adam throws Eve under the bus to avoid blame in Genesis 3.12. Then in the next chapter, Cain kills his brother Abel. <laughs> Talk about like a mess of relationship, a mess of, of, of companionship. And so we're reminded over and over in Scripture. Here's just a few Proverbs from the book of Proverbs. Here's just a few Proverbs on friendship. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Verse 12, 26. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity meaning the ability to support one another. Proverbs 27, verse 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. I can remember at different points in my life, friends that cared about me deeply pulling me aside and saying, hey, what happened yesterday or what happened earlier, what I saw in you there wasn't good. Here's some things to be aware of. Here's some warnings about how you acted so that you don't fall prey to that again because I care enough to tell you the truth. And I will be honest with you. In those moments, my pride rises up and I'm thinking, how dare you? You think you're so perfect? That's what's going on internally. But the truth is at the core, I realize that when somebody really loves me, they're willing to say, hey, because we have a friendship, I want you to be aware of something unhealthy that I see in your life. And when I take it in and process it appropriately, I become better for it. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And then this warning from Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered or you may learn their ways and get yourself stuck or ensnared. Here's the key. As we wrap this up, the key is this. New Testament friendship. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Not because it's a perfect list or the exhaustive list, but because this is a key. New Testament friendship is marked by humility, gentleness, 
patience, edifying honesty, peace, forgiveness, compassion, and love. Let me read those one more time. New Testament friendship is marked by humility, gentleness, patience, edifying honesty, peace, forgiveness, compassion, and love. So let me ask you this. Would you say that those characteristics mark the way you are a friend to others? Would you say those characteristics are a mark of the friendships others have with you? What does God want to do in you to redeem you in the way of friendship? How deep are those friendships? How vulnerable are you in real friendship? Because the truth is, in the way that our world has redefined friendship, it's not friendship at all. And, and, and maybe you could go, well, it's just semantics when they say friend request, because I know they're not really friends. But do you spend most of your time with people online where you can completely control whatever it is you want to see, how fast you want to scroll, what you want to like, what you want to read, what you want to respond to? Or do you have actual friendships that are marked by those words I read just a few moments ago? Here's my prayer. Lord, open our eyes to the kind of friend that we are and the kind of friends that we keep. And do not let us be duped into believing that we live for things like heart emojis or comments online or likes when ultimately you want us to have real, sacrificial, redemptive relationships because that's what you modeled for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. And again, I encourage you to be a note taker on Sundays. This is um, part two in our series, Unfriended. You can always watch online. You can always go back and listen online as well to our podcast. I encourage you to do that. Otherwise, thanks for joining us again. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you wanna keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.